Hi, I'm Vogue Williams, your host for Taboo Talk, the brand new podcast from Boots that asks the taboo health and wellness questions so you don't have to. This week's episode is called Can't Sleep, Won't Sleep and deals with lots of aspects of bad sleep that we just don't talk about. Stuff like how when you're a rubbish sleeper, the thought of sleeping next to someone who's merrily snoozing away can be really stressful. I've been that person. Then there's the dread of what might happen if you do finally fall asleep. Are you going to indulge in a bit of sleepwalking, sleep talking, or even sleep eating? How do you mentally cope knowing you've got to deal with work the next day on two hours kip? There is nothing worse. Today, we're joined by Sky Sports F1 and BBC presenter Natalie Pinkham, who has spoken openly about her experience of suffering from night terrors and sleepwalking. We've also got physiologist and sleep therapist Dr. Narina Ramaklan on hand to provide the scientific know-how. I travel a lot with Formula One at my day job and I've evacuated hotels, I've banged on doors, I've woken drivers up. The inability to sleep and insomnia comes from the inability to feel safe in inner safety. I don't think I have ever gone to bed and woken up the next day without an interruption, ever. I've never had a full night's sleep. I then got his face like this and I squished up his face and I said, don't panic. Don't panic, but you've turned completely green. Girls, thank you both so much for joining us. I'm so excited about this episode because like the rest of the world, I'm kind of sleep obsessed. Narina, I'm going to kick it off with you. Just how important is sleep and why do we need it? So there's a reason why nature has designed us to spend a third of our lives sleeping. There's an intelligence in that design. So I'm a neurophysiologist and I've been helping people to sleep for over 25 years. So I've got a a real academic interest in this. But I once had huge problems sleeping myself from a baby. I couldn't sleep. And I got to my early 30s and got really ill. So I experienced firsthand what it feels like to not get good sleep. And then since then, I've been on a journey and I sleep really well a lot of the time, even though I'm at a phase of my life when I shouldn't be sleeping as well. But I do. I do sleep really well. When we don't sleep well, it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, I think spiritually as well. You know, we we feel less happy. We don't feel creative. We wake up feeling less inspired. So I think it affects everything, not just our health, but our way of connecting with other people, our passion for life. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But you know what kind of scared me? So you said you haven't slept well since a baby. And I was researching for this pod and I found really scary phrases like the UK sleep crisis, sleep debt will be the next big pandemic. Are we in the middle of a sleep crisis right now? I've been observing this for the last 20 odd years. So I'll just put this in perspective. I left the academic world in the 90s. I ended up in the city in a health screening laboratory measuring the health of um, like lawyers and bankers and accountants, that sort of thing. And that was when I noticed that we were brewing for an epidemic or a sleep crisis. And this is when technology had well and truly landed on the scene and everyone was wedded to their devices and we were bombarding the brain with more and more information. And because of that, the impact of information data traffic on the brain, I started to feel that there was going to be a problem with sleep. And this was 25 years ago. I'm showing my age now. And sure enough, it is now, you know, it's a globally, the sleep industry is worth billions of dollars. And I think a lot of this is related to the way in which we're living our lives and the pace of life, the speed of life, the always on culture. 
And I think if there's one thing that we do differently as a result of this pandemic, which has forced us, I believe, to examine our choices more deeply, I think we should emerge with a healthier relationship with technology, which is, I think, nature's way of, that's why my phone fell in the river three weeks ago. It was nature's (laughs) way of slapping my butt and saying, practice what you preach. Go for a walk with your dog and leave your phone at home. I'd feel like I left a child at home if I didn't go out with my phone. I'd be lost. But tell me about your sleep. You sleep well now, but what were your sleep issues? Well, we don't have to go into too much detail, but I was diagnosed with complex trauma as a result of all sorts of things growing up and bipolar disorder. And um, and this was impacting my sleep. So when I was just months old, my mother was taking me from one doctor to the next. I would sleepwalk. I would scream in my sleep. I tried to light a candle when I was six years old in my sleep. So, you know, there was all sorts of things going on. And then it was as a result of getting really ill and being hospitalized that I started to understand my relationship with life and my relationship with my past. And kind of, even though I'm a scientist, you know, started going back in my history and and healing things. And as a result, started to learn how to settle my nervous system. And that's what the book that I'm writing at the moment, my fourth book, is about finding inner safety Because I think a lot of the inability to sleep and insomnia comes from uh, the inability to feel safe in inner safety. And Natalie, I'm obsessed with your sleep stories, by the way, so I can't wait to get into it because I've been (laughs) reading all about them. But have you always been a bad sleeper since a child? Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting hearing you talk about this inner safety mechanism that I, I can really relate to that because my sleep issues have I don't think I have ever gone to bed and woken up the next day without an interruption, ever. I've never had a full night's sleep. And I remember being a very young girl and sleepwalking and screaming out. And I think, because we've, we've looked at it a lot as a family as to why I do it. And, you know, there's no significant trauma to talk of. But I say that I was very poorly as a baby. And my mum also had cancer. And I think there was a lot of stress in our house because I think my dad was told that he was going to lose his newborn baby and his wife. So I think I must have absorbed all of this. I find it very, very strange that being serious for a moment about it, because I do laugh about it. And I think laughing is my coping mechanism. But when I actually try and face up to why I do it, I find it quite upsetting. And I think it's because it's almost like I have an alter ego. Night falls and fear creeps in. And it it might be a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'm scared about what I'm going to do and therefore I do it. I don't know, but I feel so relaxed and so happy and so confident and so lucky and grateful during the day. Something happens at night and I completely change I'm scared and I, it's like I regress back to being a child. I'm agitated. I, I will sleepwalk sometimes two or three times a night. Wow. Uh, I'll go and turn lights on. I will pace the landing. And I take weirdly some comfort from being awake at night because it's safer than being asleep. Yeah. What's your earliest memory of having one of those incidents where you were sleepwalking? I mean, we've got countless examples of them as a family you know we've all sort of lived through it and and I've read up that it is hereditary my mum definitely sleep talks so does my brother they both have slept walks but I'm definitely the worst in the family I remember as a kid you know some of them some of them are really funny and we do laugh a lot about it as a family 
But again, some of them are just really upsetting and troubling and they're so real in the moment. So for example, I remember being about 10 years old and I ran through the house, waking everyone up at Christmas, saying that there was a bomb in the house. And of course, at three o'clock in the morning, when someone's shouting bomb, of course, you're going to think there is a threat, aren't you? And and so of course, everybody's freaking out. I believe the bomb is attached to me. So I take all my clothes off. And then of course I'm mortified because I'm a 10 year old girl who's naked then in front of uncles and aunts. And because the house is just packed at Christmas. And then they're all thinking, what a nutter. And then I try to make a joke out of it the next day because I'm just so embarrassed that I did it. But in that moment, it's just so real. And I will say, yeah. like, you know, I do it, I do it most nights and my husband will be lying alongside me and I'll say look I know I do this I know every night I do something but this time it's true it's happening and he's like Pinky go back to sleep and he gets so upset because he's like I know you're asleep and he then has to sort of check himself because he doesn't want to get angry with me because that's the worst thing you can do because I already brought shame onto myself I get so embarrassed that moment I'm so I'm so guilty about disturbing him, you know, when he's got a big day at work the next day or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's, it's just like this cycle that I can't break out of. And I've tried so many things. Yeah. So I'd love some help. <laughs> every night you wake up and you say something to your husband thinking it's like it's a situation or something like that. So every night you do that. Yeah. So I have a mixture of things. So I have night, I have night terrors, which will be a sudden surge of adrenaline and I'll bolt upright and I'll yell or I'll run out the room or something very suddenly will happen. It's normally yelling. It's normally screaming or yelling or something. And it just freaks poor Owen out because, you know, he'll be in a very deep seat. He's got the opposite problem. I mean, I can fall asleep like that. I can literally just drop my head and be asleep within seconds I mean, we'll be in mid-conversation. Doesn't say much about his chat, does it? But I can fall asleep <laughs> mid-conversation. And he'll say, what do you think? And I'll go, sorry, what? You fell asleep. And I'm like, yeah, this will be like as we're lying in bed chatting. But then it's, he has the opposite problem. He takes ages to fall asleep. And then, of course, when he finally gets to sleep, I will then, probably normally in the first 45 minutes of falling asleep, scream out and jolt him out of his sleep. And then he can't get back to sleep again. Oh goodness. That's a, that's the normal pattern most nights. And what has been like a scary situation you've found yourself in from sleepwalking? I mean, I've done countless things. I went to boarding school and I used to regularly walk out and down the stairs and out the building and and everyone would be like I mean, I remember one occasion where all the girls came out and everybody was late for breakfast to line up for breakfast and because all their uniforms were missing. And I could hear people going, I bet it's Pinky, I bet it's Pinky. Because they knew that I slept well. They go, what have you done now, Pinks? Like this. And I say, and then a penny drops and I get a flashback to the night before. And I go, oh my God, go and look in bathroom number four. Sure enough, there was a mountain of uniforms <sighs> piled up in a bath. And I had just gathered everyone's stuff and just filled a bath with it. And turned the tap on. No. So everyone's, everyone's uniforms were wet turned it off again I thought I was washing them I thought I was helping and then I'd just gone back to bed and forgotten I'd done it so but I've been I travel a lot with Formula One at my day job and I've evacuated hotels I've banged on doors I've woken drivers up telling them that there's a fire alarm you know this is the, the no. night before a race 
I rang down once. I rang down once in Texas and said to the lady on reception, look, you need to get everyone out because there's a flood. That's the theme. I'm always saving people. I'm trying to save people. There's a threat and I need to protect people from the threat. That's always the theme. And the woman was like, ma'am, have you been drinking? And I was like, and at that point I woke up and went, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm asleep. I'm so sorry. And she just was like... And then I've done other things. Like, I mean, I've been, I remember being in a hotel in, in America and it's again, the, a race weekend. I have to put quite a lot of clothes on at night because I'm so scared of just walking out naked again, you know. But I, I remember walking out and then the security guard found me and I was holding a hairbrush like this and oh. holding it out. And this guy tapped me on the shoulder and he said, ma'am, ma'am. And I said, so I'm just right in the middle of an interview. If you could just wait five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> And of course, there's no one there, but I thought I was interviewing Lewis Hamilton or whoever, but there was no one there. I mean, it was just, yeah, anyway. Like, it's kind of, the stories are quite funny, but that is terrifying to me to think of finding myself in a situation like that. And Dr. Narina, like, how is that for Natalie's sleep? Because surely she's, that's not counted as sleep if she's up and walking about, but she's kind of still asleep. I mean, I, I just want to, I just want to help. Oh my God. Yeah, please, anything. When you wake up in the morning, what are your energy levels like? Do you generally, do you feel quite okay or do you feel exhausted? You're exhausted, so that's not great. And when you wake up during the night, do you then get back to sleep again quite quickly? Do you know what? It depends. It depends. Sometimes my brain just fills up with thoughts um, and, you know, and they spin round and round and round. And I can't, you know, like most people, I can't rationalise thoughts at night time because that that fear is there. And so, and and. and it will just keep repeating, repeating, repeating the same thing. And then I wake up the next day and I go, that's so easy to sort out. Just go and sort that out and then feel fine again. And I think, I don't know whether during the day, as I say, I, nothing phases me. I, I don't feel bothered or stressed about anything. Probably the safety of my loved ones is the only thing that, and as a mother, that's obviously something that most people can relate to. You know, you just, you always panic about your, your little ones, don't you? But other than that, nothing phases me. Nighttime, everything bothers me. I'm scared of everything. Just some of what you've said, right? So the, f- the first thing that you said was that the whole inner safety thing really resonates with you. And I got goosebumps when you said that, because I was thinking that, you know, while you were talking, I, you know, I was just thinking, yep, yeah, the whole issue of safety. Um, but, you know, the fear of going to sleep, I see this a lot. And I spent, as I said, 10 years working at the Capio Nightingale Clinic, where I'd once been a patient all those years ago when I got really ill. Um, so it's really ironic that I ended up going right back there and they, they'd headhunted me to work there. So it was almost like wow. I was meant to. Yeah, it's quite, it's yeah. quite a story, but this isn't about me. But really, really common is that when people aren't sleeping well, sleep becomes the enemy. And when we go to bed at night, we go into, it's almost like when the light levels start to drop, we start going into a childlike state. So when you say things become irrational or, you know, that really does happen. We become more childlike and our conscious mind starts to sort of dampen down and our subconscious opens up. So we start creating more gremlins and monsters and so it's not uncommon I'm saying this partly to reassure you the other thing I want to reassure you on is often I spend a lot of time wrestling away from people this notion that what's going on with their sleep is genetic it's hereditary so a lot of the time our behaviors our psychological patterns are learnt you know like so my father I grew up hearing my my dad pacing up and down at night 
he just didn't sleep at night. And he was a very mercurial, quite an unusual individual and often would be up during the night unable to sleep. And I think a lot of his temperament, a lot of his personality, I inherited and I was going that way with my sleep as well. And it was by changing some of the patterns, some of my beliefs, some of my behaviors that I started to change my own relationship with sleep. So there isn't a gene as such, there isn't a strong gene for insomnia. So some of, a lot of what you've described, it can be reversed, you know, it can be improved, it can be improved on. What else did I notice that you said? You said, you've never slept through the night or something. You said waking during the night. Everybody wakes during the night. Everyone, every human being wakes on average between 10 to 15 times a night for our survival We would be extinct as a species if we didn't wake up during the night. I certainly remember waking up at least twice last night, one of which was to get my dog off the window seat because she was barking at a fox, and the other one was to go for a wee, right? So I remember that, but I know I'll have woken many more times. But when we sleep at night, we go through these stages of consciousness from fully alert which is beta mode, into dropping down alpha, which is kind of sleepy, meditative, theta, which is more meditative, the early sleep stages, down into delta, which is deep sleep. Throughout the night, we oscillate between up and down, check the cave is safe, go back to sleep. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's normal. So again, when I would have patients and clients who'd say, you know, I've woken so many times last night, I work at this time and I work at that time and I work at this time. So already we're getting into some sleep resources and practices or tools now. The first thing is never check the time when you wake up during the night. No, never yeah, do. Always do. You always do. I know you, you I know you do. Yeah. I can tell because I'm so used to personality <laughs> profiling, which sounds horrible, but certain personalities, myself included, we're perfectionistic overthinkers. We want to know what's going on. We want to be in control. If you're successful in life, you want everything to be lined up just so. So you want to know what time you woke up, how much sleep you then got. So the other thing is, if I, I don't know if you're measuring your sleep, but if you can get your phone out of your bedroom, take off any wearable devices, stop measuring your sleep. The only way to accurately know what's going on with your sleep is to have a sleep study done where you're wired up. I've had that. Yeah, I've had it done. So... I mean, I don't doubt there's some real stuff going on with your sleep. I'm trying to give you some of the peripheral stuff, which is adding to your sleep Mm. problems. Yeah, it's it's so interesting you say that because I'm sure I am something of a control freak with it because I think that is the bit that freaks me out about it is that I'm not in control of anything when the lights go out. That's what it feels like to me. And I hate that feeling. And then when I look at the clock, my phone or whatever, I feel as if... um, I just feel the anxiety coming because I'm like, oh, I haven't had enough sleep. That's the only thing in life that really works me up is I think I haven't had enough sleep. It stresses me out. You know, as people get food rage or, you know, yeah. I don't know, they might get emotional about certain things. I do. I just panic about sleep because I know I don't get enough of it. Yeah. But you think about your next day then and you're like, if I don't get enough sleep, yeah. I'm not going to be able to do this. But I have to say, I do wear a sleep device and like, I, I, find, I know you shouldn't, but I find it fascinating because you do, my disturbances could be like 15 a night and you're actually only in a deep sleep for like an hour and a half. Is that right? Like, I thought you'd get way more. Yeah, ideally we want about two hours, two and a half. I mean, getting into three hours is great. But I really want to just home in on this a little bit more because I want your listeners to really take something away from this. 
And that why, you know, while we can joke about it, it's it's awful not being able to sleep. And there's nothing worse than being awake at two o'clock in the morning, feeling like you're the only person awake with all the thoughts, which, as Natalie said, you know, in the daylight, it, those are absolutely minor thoughts. But, you know, in the early hours, again, that childlike state becomes a lot more magnified. Your subconscious unconscious is magnified. Everything feels worse than it is. So if you look at the time during the night, you bring the only way to register a number is to come up into full consciousness, beta wave. So you look yeah. at the time, you do a calculation, you then do a risk assessment. And if you're a perfectionistic overthinker, this happens in microseconds. If you're a perfectionistic control freak, you're probably grinding your teeth at night as well. You've got tightness in the neck and shoulders. You might be wearing a mouth guard. So there's a whole load of personality clusters around checking the time. And then orthosomnia, which is a new form of insomnia, which has been added to the DSM manual, orthosomnia, O-R-T-H-O, which is the poor sleep that arises, disturbed sleep, that arises as a result of your wearable device unhelpfully and incorrectly telling you that you're waking up so many times, you're only getting so much deep sleep and all this kind of stuff. Bottom line is to sleep well. We need to not give a damn about how we're sleeping. And, you know, I work with elite athletes. I've done a lot of work with um, in the past with Chelsea Football Club, with some of the athletes who I used to work with um, a heptathlete who won gold medals, who would really panic about if she didn't sleep, how she was going to perform the next day. And, you know, her manager would come in and he would draw a line on her wall and say, see that line there? That's how high you need to jump to win the gold tomorrow. You know, so of course the poor woman couldn't sleep. She'd be waking up in the night yeah. looking at this this line. So get the phone out of the room, stop looking at it. And it's about the work, the deeper work of building inner safety is around being able to let go of your relationship with control. So that's the life's work. That's the deep work. Yeah. By the way, first of all, is sleepwalking considered an insomnia? So there's a group of uh, sleep disorders called the parasomnias, which include sleepwalking, sleep talking, nightmares, night terrors, and bruxism, grinding your teeth at night. I'd have to say it's sort of got worse since having kids because I'm so acutely aware of everything they do. So I'm so tuned to them that I still don't know how on earth my husband sleeps through it. But I mean, one of the kids could be shouting in his face and he'd sleep through it. Not when I'm shouting in his face. If a, if a <laughs> child down the corridor so much as rustles their duvet. Yes, what is it? Am I okay? And I'm up, I'm out. I'm there yeah. to protect them. And I'm sure there'll be parents everywhere that can relate to that. So I feel like I, I feel like I go to bed and I just don't get any kip. I just and I'm sure I do. I'm sure I do, but you know, I must do, but otherwise I'd be dead. I have like a whole routine because I'm I'm not on the bandwagon of you where you have the night terrors and everything, but I do sometimes struggle to sleep. But like I have this whole routine. It probably, I don't know if you think any of it would work, um, Narina, but so I basically, I never drink caffeine after two because it just, it always wires me. I then use a sleep spray, a pillow mist for my pillow. I have to sleep with uh, earplugs, but only when my husband's there. So if one of the kids cries, he'll hear them because as like you were just saying there, Natalie, I hear everything that they do and it doesn't matter what I do if they breathe funny or Gigi coughs or something I hear it so yeah. 
I sleep with sleeping uh, earplugs and I put on white noise. I find white noise really, really helps. Yeah. So you've described a lot of my routines and a lot of it is about your routine. And, you know, as the light levels drop below about 200 lux in the environment, it sends a message to the brain to produce more melatonin. So what we want to do in the hour, and a, hour to hour and a half before we go to bed is really like cherish that melatonin. We don't want to be on our devices too much because the blue light's going to suppress the melatonin production. Don't want to fall asleep in front of the TV because, again, that's going to use up your melatonin. Don't check your email or social media just before you go to bed. And then go into some sort of routine before you go to bed. I do a bit of face massage, get my rose oils out. I've always got a fan in my bedroom. I mean, part of my routine is, where's Mr. Fox? God, I shouldn't say that. That's for my puppy, right? I go, where's Mr. Fox? So she's snoring at the moment. She jumps on the window seat. She's like that. And that's part of my sleep routine, right? Wow. It's so cute. And she helps me to feel safe as well. But for me, the fan in the bedroom is always, and when I'm staying in hotels, I'll often phone in advance and say, can you make sure there's a fan in the room? And they'll always say, oh, there's air conditioning. And I I cannot have air conditioning in my room. It drives me out. I can't breathe. But I want a fan because it stops everybody else's noises in the hotel from intruding. I've got the smells in my bedroom. For me, it's always a combination of lavender and eucalyptus. So if I change my bedding in the room, loads of Olbersoil and, and lavender on my on my pillows. I don't like my room completely dark. I like a little bit of light to come in. But everyone's different. And it's about working out what makes you feel safe. Is there a danger, though, in becoming too dependent on a routine? And then if something cannot, for example, the hotel just hasn't got a fan, that then interrupts everything. Have you have you not got to condition yourself to be a bit more sort of malleable in a way? Totally. And like last week, I was glamping in Sussex in a shepherd's hut. I had this like lake. I was on the edge of a lake and I was wild swimming every day. That's one of my things. That's really improved my sleep, by the way. But one of the first things I did was set up my bed. So I'm on my side of the bed, even though it's a big double bed, I'm on my side. I've got my lucky crystal next to me. I've got a picture of my late sister. I've got my book on this side. I've got my oils there. Then I'm looking for a fan. And then I phoned down to Jerry and I said, have you got a fan? There's no fan in the room. She goes, oh no, I'm really sorry. And I thought, okay, just deal with it. You know, and I can, I can be adaptable. Like last night, I had a glass and a half of wine. Don't normally do that on a Sunday night if I'm presenting the next day, but I did. I blurred the rules a little bit, went to bed a bit later. So as you... I mean, I might have had a bottle and a half of wine. Yeah, I think I had a bottle and a half, so you're doing well. (laughs) I'm very pure. Can I just say, I'm extremely pure and very smug. We can tell. Beautiful. (laughs) Natalie, when you drink, do you get it get it worse? So like, you know, when you're like on on work trips, yeah, you have to share a room with somebody sometimes maybe? No, no one will share a room with me. <laughs> they just won't. I mean, like we go on like Hindus and stuff and it's like, please not with pinks. It's always like, please. And it's so oh, funny because no. one, one of my best friends, um, it, it's, I mean, nothing wakes her. So she always gets palmed off on me because she's the only one that just doesn't wake up. I mean, I, pro- but you see, that's another thing that adds to my anxiety because she'll lie there barely moving with her hands like this. And I'm prodding her to make sure she's still alive. <laughs> I worry about everyone. I mean, I just, I regularly go and check on the kids. I will, if I stir in the night, I will t- I'll say, Oh, I'm just going to check on the kids. Like, what am I doing? You know, that then, as you've mentioned before, Narina, that brings you out of that nice slumber, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I need to just learn to chill out. But I feel very chilled during the day. So I don't, I don't know what's happening 
at night time. Do you have a night routine? No, I actually don't. There you go. I'm bad. I'm 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 bad at being able to turn lights off. Then this is going to sound really weird, but the minute I turn the light off in any room anywhere, something happens that I think, oh, it's night time. It's getting dark. I don't like this. So I turn the light back on again, and I'll. I will make an excuse to do something else, to put off going to bed. Can you, when you're like, do you relax in the evening before you go to your bedroom? I mean... You don't watch TV in bed or anything like that? No, and the the only thing is, is that my daughter sleep talks and shouts. She's five. Our son is more like his dad. He struggles to go to sleep, but once he's asleep, he's that's it. Um, but we try to set aside an hour or so in the evening to watch something together. But the old Venn diagram of what he'll watch and what I'll watch is quite narrow. Yeah. And he wants yeah. to watch all these like shoot me ups or big action things or thrillers or horrors. And I'm like, I've got no interest because I absorb all the images yeah. that all play yeah. back to me in my sleep. So I might watch something horrendous about, you know, I don't know, some some awful film. And then three days later, I will dream out that film and I will wake in a pure panic because, I, you know, my, yeah. my, my dreams are so vivid as well. So without getting too intrusive, I mean, I would say that some of this is connected to your relationship from childhood with safety and feeling being able to trust that the people that you love are going to always be there for you mm. and, you know, whether they'll, whether they'll stay. So there's deeper work here that, that needs yeah. to be done. Without needing to step on, we could always talk about that another time if you wanted to, but that's where the deep work lies. It's in trusting life and trusting that you don't have to go around rescuing other people, the people you love won't be taken away from you. But if we work through the layers that I, I would say it's really important that you lovingly negotiate with your husband, that you watch something that makes you feel safe before you go to bed, be it, I don't know, whatever comedies you enjoy or friends or whatever it is. I mean, I'm the same. I have to watch things that make me feel the world's a good place. I don't watch the news. I don't look at social media. I don't watch... If I want to watch a scary program, I love thrillers, horrible thrillers, but I don't watch them the night before I need a really good night's sleep and definitely not in a hotel room. Yeah. But here's a... I've got a question about that. This is really weird. I actually sleep better in hotels and say hospital, not that I've been in hospital much, than I do in my own house. And I think it's because I know other people are awake mm. and they've, they're on lookout. Somebody's always awake. There's a light always on. Yeah. Whereas I take all the responsibility on myself for protecting people in my own home. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does make sense. Yeah. Although, you know, I know my husband's like, I do, I do remember this one time where I yelled that there was someone in the house. And of course, he, I'm like, he's, he's, he's right there. And I mean, I could see someone. I, I couldn't. I was sleep talking. But he, in the moment, thought I was telling the truth. And he just ran out the front door in his pants, ready to fight. <laughs> and then I kind of opened the front door and I went, you better come back in. I was sleepwalking. I'm sorry. Oh, and he's no. like, oh, my God, you drive me crazy. I do feel sorry for him because I, I mean, you know, I do like the other night. Do you know what I did to him the other night? You know, when you can sense a presence. Yeah. He opened his eyes and I was right there, like right nose <laughs> to nose with him. And he went, oh my God, I scared the life out of him. And I then got his face like this and I squished up his face and I said, don't panic. Don't panic. But you've turned completely green. <laughs> that was it. And I fell back to sleep. He went, 
Oh, well, thank you very much. You've woken me up now. It's freaked me out. I'm married to a lunatic. <laughs> oh, God. I know. Oh, God. He must struggle to get sleep. Does, so how many hours sleep do you think you get? Do you know, I, I really don't know. I just know it's broken. I think I probably end up cumulatively getting a, six or seven hours, probably. But it's just broken. It's just it's just five yeah. or six times out of bed. Um um, and what is, what is like, Narina, you'll know this. What is a healthy sleep routine? How much sleep should we be getting? I've always heard eight hours, then I'm hearing seven and you kind of never know. Seven or eight hours is a good average to hit for, but phasing of sleep is really important. The time you go to bed. So ideally you want to get to bed before midnight. I've got five non-negotiables, by the way. It's, it's an important oh, part yeah. of my methodology. These are the five things that clean up the nervous system. They start to help you make the shift from feeling unsafe to safe from the sympathetic fight or flight into the parasympathetic nervous system so i can tell you those five non-negotiables but the seven or eight hours good number to hit for but the most important thing really is to listen into how you feel when you wake up in the morning and put less emphasis on hours hours of sleep it's about quality sleep getting good deep sleep in hindi there's a word called sattvic which means pure i think gwyneth paltrow called it clean sleep yeah but it's getting that pure deep sleep that's unmuddied by the noise of your day and and that kind of stuff. Do you want me to share the five? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Could you just tell me about that? Yeah. So the five things are eating breakfast first thing in the morning within half an hour of rising, including a source of protein in there. So it could be small. It could be a piece of toast with nut butter or I'm known for talking about eight almonds and two dates, small handful of nuts and some dried fruit or a banana. Second thing is cut back on caffeine. Don't use caffeine as a substitute for food. Ideally no caffeine after 3 p.m. in the afternoon no caffeine. Number three is hydrate. Get that water into your body so that your biochemistry is working efficiently. Number four, get to bed earlier around 9.30, 10. You don't have to be asleep. Stop soothing the nervous system. Like, you know, those nighttime routines and rituals, making the inner child feel safe. And number five is a healthier relationship with technology. Get the phone out of the bedroom, take breaks from technology during the day. So these five things, after seven to 10 days, they, resh- they shift the nervous system from sympathetic into parasympathetic. We've resourced you because when you've been doing those five things for a while, your energy levels start to improve as well. Even if you haven't slept as well, the vibrations in the nervous system start to clean up. It starts to get smoother. Then we can start going in and doing some breath work. We can start looking at practices to bring deeper trust into the body, making it safe to tr- to feel stuff that you didn't want to feel, making it safe to cry, bringing in gratitude practices, which make you go to bed feeling safer, you know, all of that stuff, releasing the perfectionist. Uh, my preference is to get people sleeping naturally by using the cleanup, the, the five non-negotiables to start with, and then we go deeper and we start reconnecting with things like nature. I've even had clients high profile clients who I've got, my methodology is considered sometimes eccentric and unorthodox, but I remind people I've got a PhD in neuroscience, but I've also studied Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, as well as my own personal history as well. I get people out in nature, walking barefoot, reconnecting with with the earth and getting them to produce serotonin and melatonin naturally. And the research is showing from places like Imperial College, you spend more time in nature, it resets your circadian rhythms, you know? Mm. So there's so many things that we can do to boost oxytocin and serotonin, which are the feel-good hormones, the love and trust hormones, which then help you to produce melatonin at night. 
and, and things like eating breakfast in the morning, really important. I don't know if you normally do. But yeah, yeah. I imagine you, you look so healthy that I imagine you're doing those basics, you know. Yeah, I mean, I have to say of the five, of your five uh, points, I probably just need to get better with my phone. Yeah. That's probably yeah. the thing I look at most because I feel the pressure of just emails and WhatsApps mounting up. But yeah. But no, no, I'm, I, I think I, one other thing I was going to say, anyone listening who struggled with sleep for a long time may feel the same. You start to feel like it's you and you know, like, well, that's just me. That's just who I am. I'm not sure I could ever change, so I'm not even going to try. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I, I just think, well, sleepwalking is just kind of part of who I am yeah. as a person and I've, I've never really challenged it enough to change it I mean I've I've scraped at it and I've thought yeah I'd love to sort this out but I've never really had a deep dive into why I do it and then healed it well Natalie that leads me on to a good question I want to actually ask both of you this so you're talking there about it just being a part of you and some people do feel like it's just them and they'll always sleep like that if there's one thing you wish you'd known that would have made dealing with all of this easier what would it be I would say that I don't, I look, I had a really, really tough time for, you know, there were some massive traumas and losses. I actually genuinely don't regret any of it. I, I, this is just my spiritual belief. I believe my soul cho- chose this journey and that everything I've experienced, I've been able to help people as a result. I'm not identified with my wounds anymore. You know, I just mention it to give people hope. We don't have to be identified by labels yeah. You know, whether they're the parasomnias or the nightmares or the clinical depression or bipolar or complex PTSD, we don't have to be defined by that. If we read our physiology, if we make different choices, we can have a different different life. And as a result of getting really ill, I've I've flourished. I'm thriving. I'm in the wrong end of my 50s and I'm doing stuff I never did in my 20s and 30s because I sleep well and you can, it's possible. And you're helping other people to do the same. And that's that's a huge gift. Yeah. It's amazing. That's fab. Well, that's a really good a good way to finish. Don't define yourself by whatever way you sleep and don't put pressure on yourself. And it can get better, which is great. Start off with those five things, which are brilliant. Girls, thank you so much. I was so excited for this episode and you didn't disappoint. It was brilliant. Thank you, guys. Honestly, even if I can implement 2% of what you've said, it will help. So thank you. No, it's great. It's a great topic as well. It is. Do you know, and it's so funny because everyone can relate to it. You know, yeah. everybody at some point in their life struggles with sleep. We all have to do it. Yeah. yeah. Every night. <laughs> we are going to wrap things up there. I'd like to thank Natalie and Arena for joining us. I'm sure most of us will sleep more soundly tonight knowing that there are practical things that can be done to tackle these issues. And also, if you do sleepwalk, don't forget to wear big pyjamas and double lock all your doors. <laughs> I need to say here that any listeners who are experiencing frequent or regular parasomnia episodes, i.e. sleepwalking or night terrors, or who have children that are, should speak to their GP. If you've enjoyed this episode, which I hope that you have, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It makes a big difference and we'd love to spread the word. And also, we'd like to spread the word that Boots has over 2,000 wellness products, including lots of sleep aids for more common sleep issues. Boots Sleep Ease range includes sleep masks, snoring strips, ooh, and aromatherapy sprays, all of which can help you feel as good as new. Explore more at boots.com.